Thank you for choosing this Dream Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. You know, last time I spoke to us, I uh, I, I opened up a a new uh, line of talking, and we called it the powerless priesthood. We're still talking about transitioning from Sinai to Zion, but we've taken a, a you know another slice of the pie, so to speak, so we can understand it. So many Christians are powerless to change anything. And yet all authority under heaven and earth has been given to the church. It's gone quiet. And yet so many Christians live defeated lives. So many Christians are suffering with things that the word has given them full authority to take control over. So many believers are living defeated in areas where if they'd applied themselves just a little bit more, they would have had far more victory. If they'd have listened a little bit more, they could have gone further. True? And it's a a travesty to see defeated Christians, but it's also a reality. There are so many Christians out there. You know, the world is full of marriages going pear-shaped. Christian marriages. Now, we're not. We're human beings. And you can say, well, we're just human and therefore we're susceptible to the same problems. Yes, we are. But we've also got the answer. We do have the answer. The only thing I can't control and you can't control, I should say, the only thing I can't control but you can control is your will. And your choices. And, and when people say things, you listen to them so that you can be empowered to make a better choice. And a lot of marriages go wrong because they should never have married that person in the first place. Had they listened or, they'd have been exposed, or they would have exposed their lives to some advice, then maybe things would have turned out. And, uh, but you can never legislate for the bunny boiler, can you? <laughs> There's one in every, in every city. Some of you haven't got a clue what that means, but don't worry about it. Some do. <coughs> I like Nick saying, buy nice or buy twice. But, um, you know, the word, the word teaches us so many, many things so we can become stronger and stronger and stronger. But not everybody wants strength. Not everybody wants to eat the carrots. Not everybody wants to eat the veg. But that's good for you nevertheless. And uh, last time I spoke to you, I used the illustration of my car. As my car was the subject and has been the subject of my pain. And I was driving along the road uh, and uh, all of a sudden it, it simply stalled. And as it stalled, it wouldn't start again. And then it, it, next thing I know, I'd spent £200 to put it right. Well, within two weeks, it came under satanic attack again. Right? <laughs> he came under satanic attack outside Mr. Clark's house. I don't want to put two and two together, but it was outside his house. And the gearbox and the clutch wouldn't talk to one another. So from now we've gone from a different part of the engine to, uh, to one different problem to another problem. And at that point I thought, now's the time to get biblical with it. Now's the time to, to take it to the scrapyard and let iron sharpen iron. And let, let it go to Jesus because there comes a point when I'm sure you'll, you'll all know this with a vehicle or with anything as it starts getting older, there comes a point when it becomes a money drain. Yeah? Now, what I've found is, is when you keep losing your power in the car, it, it's so important that you learn to read the signs and the symptoms. Yes? Because when a car starts going faulty, what it's crying out is, not only do I need to be fixed, but you're going to be spending money on me. You and I don't know how much money we'll be spending. It wouldn't be so bad if it broke down, you could fix it free of charge. But when it hits you in the pocket, there's an ouch factor. So when you spend £200 and then two weeks later, was it a week and a half later or something, then it's going to cost you like another four or £500. You're thinking, the car cost me 200 quid, And, and I didn't want to buy the car. So my father-in-law says, here, you can have the car. Have it. And then he says, it's 200 quid. <laughs> it's completely different. And, and I just got rid of a good, good car. 
And I just took this car, just I thought, well, it's a cheap run around. I don't need anything special. Fine, because I had a far better car than that before. And then this thing starts going sick. And then you find it costs you money to keep a sick car on the road. And you keep losing your power and losing your power. And I discovered that if I don't learn the signs and symptoms very quickly, it's going to keep taking good money from me. And how many of you know that cars are like Christians? You get sentimental over them. And you keep believing in them. You believe in them and they become an attachment to your life. So you go beyond and you spend far more than you would normally do. But guess what? You spend that much time and energy and resource hoping that they're going to make the journey with you that they don't. And they keep draining your life and draining your resources till eventually you have to make a decision to cut loose. And I had to make a, a decision, so I, stand, I will be standing this, this week, there will be a ceremony, there will be a time of reflection as she goes to the great scrapyard in the sky, and I will bless her on her way. She served me well up to a point, then she became a pain in my backside. And I believe it's good, and it's sometimes God allows you to have things to learn things. How have you noticed that? Uh, this whole thing about the church losing its power. My, car's, uh, my car has become a very, very useful illustration. <laughs> An expensive one, I might add. But it's been a very, very useful uh, illustration because it's taught me things. Because pain is, is, is a great experience. Is it not? And financial loss is a great pain. It's annoying when you spend £200, you think, Lord, I, you know, I consider myself, Lord, a prophetic man. Why couldn't you have told me three weeks earlier? I could have saved that £200 and just sent it on its way. And it's not like you can get the parts back and take them back to the shop, is it? So you, you just think, oh, oh. So when, once you take your head out of your hands and you, and you stop cursing the ground, you realise, hey, just let it go. It was a bad experience. And I'm sure you've all had it. When cars go like that. But you know, Jesus Christ can't let his church go. He hasn't got that luxury like you and I. You and I can say goodbye, bon voyage, farewell. All, not bon voyage, <laughs> au revoir, I should say. We can say all those kind of things. Why? Because it's an earthly attachment. For Jesus Christ, it cost him everything he had. And for us to be where we are today, to have Christ in our lives, it cost him everything. And this power is part of what is provided. You can't have a relationship without any power. It's not what he designed. It's like having a car and having no engine in it. You know, the kid, when he's, when he, when he's small and he's, and he's using his feet and he's pushing, he thinks he's in a car, doesn't he? And he's pushing and pushing and pushing because the kid's got unlimited energy. And then all of a sudden... He realises that his legs are getting tired and he wishes he had something a little bit more to help him. And as the kid gets wiser and wiser and wiser, he begins to see that one day I want a car like my dad. And I want to be able to do what my dad's doing. Why? Because dad set the picture. Now if we can see, if it depends what picture we look at. If we look at most of the church today, we don't see an awful lot of power. But if I look to me dad and I look to what he's modelled in my life, I see that there is a church where we can have power. And when I say a church, I don't mean Sunday. I mean a life where you just heard Tonga this morning say, I prayed for this young, a lad his own age, and to my amazement, he got healed. Notice it wasn't to his faith, it was to his amazement, the boy got healed. But bless him for doing it. That boy's now realised there's power in his fingertips. Now, if a young boy like that can do it, how much more can you and I do it? If young Sam can stand here and prophesy, how much more can you do it? It's the same God. Sam's got no more leverage than you have. Tonga's got no more leverage than you and I have. But if you, will, if you will let a younger generation do it and you won't, they will become the generation. And you, my friend, have been replaced overnight. These young people 
do not want to be in a church where there's no power. They must have a power. They, they tell me in certain parts of Africa where there is witchcraft and there is voodoo and all that kind of stuff, the gospel has to be powerful. It has to show itself to be more powerful than what the other guy's offering. True? So if you're going to have a gospel, you better have something more than the other fellas asking you to have. Hare Krishna came on the door with me the other day and he had that silly smile on his face. And I just thought, if I lay hands on you, you're going to get something that you haven't got. But if you lay hands on me, nothing will be transferred. I have that, I have that hope that what I carry is greater than what he's got. Elijah had that hope on Mount Carmel. Bring all your prophets, bring all, your, all you want, what you want. Let's have a fire. Let's, sorry, let's dance it all with water and see whose God stands up. And there comes a point, my friend, is that sometimes God will put you in a situation where you will have to show the real power. And when someone else is doing something across the road and you can't equalize, you have nothing to equalize and nothing to advance, your gospel is no use. And you can walk away saying, well, I know my God lives. But can you show your God? What good is having a God if you can't show him? True? In the Olympic Games, at the opening ceremony, before the ceremony opens, everybody knows Great Britain can do great things. True? But can she, can she put on a good Olympic Games? Well, I think we answered that one quite handsomely. We showed up and we showed off. And we put a fantastic opening ceremony on. But you know what? We showed the world we've got what it takes. Come the moment, come the, cometh the hour, cometh the men. Now, your gospel has got to have that power. And so many Christians, you talk to them, they've got no power whatsoever. And you think, well, pastor, I don't know if I can do all these things. Yes, you can. Why? The Bible says. It's not about what you, what you think you, but what, you, know, you can do or you can't do. It's about what he says. Go to the owner's. You know when you go to the manual of your car and there's a problem, you look to the manual and you think, why doesn't my car do what that manual says it should be doing? True? And you get frustrated because you fully believe that your car should do what's been written down in that book. True? If you hit this switch... Pull the handbrake, open that rooftop, something should fly out. If you do it and it works, you think, great, yeah, just as it was written, it's done it. Great. But you get frustrated when it doesn't. That's the same thing God does with you and I. Why is my people, my people die through lack of knowledge? In other words, they've got no power. They've got no power. And God is trying to address that in this church. We can't speak for all the churches, but we can labor and speak for this one. That every member or every partner, we don't use the word members, but every partner in this house will and should have the power of God flowing through them. Well, that's the first two, three rows. If you don't want the power, that's not the same. That's not the same. And then I'm not addressing you. If you want the power, then your ears should be attentive. But if you don't want the power, no one's going to force you with the power. You know, it was a he-man who said, I have the power. Well, thank God someone's got it. People, <coughs> one of the reasons why the priesthood of all believers, how many of you believe that you are a priesthood of a believer? The Bible says that we are not just any kind of people. We are a royal priesthood. It also, you're a peculiar people. Yeah, but you're a peculiar people who belong to God. To display his glory. That's power. Power reveals glory. Yes? So, if we are the priesthood of believers, why are so many living defeated? Why are so many not got, do not have answers to so many of the issues they're facing? Now, there are always issues that we will face that we, we don't have the wisdom for, but the body has it. The body has the wisdom. There's always somebody in the house who will be able to get access to some information or some wisdom that you don't have. That's the benefit of being in the house. And that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be connected in a body that can provide answers. 
Amen. And we need to be connected to a God who can reveal some answers. Amen. So don't feel you have to have every answer because you, you don't. But you do need to be connected to those who do. And you need to become willing to become one of those who can be the person to supply. So when we, don't, when we look at the reasons why the priesthood doesn't have power, we need to look at ourselves. It's no use blaming everybody else. Because that's not going to change anything, is it? The church down the road, they don't put tea and coffee. They only put one spoonful of coffee in. So that's why the people are falling asleep. But in this church, they put two spoonfuls of coffee in. It keeps everyone awake. So the, the, the solution is, put two spoons of coffee in. No, that's not the answer. But there are some real, real issues as to why we have, lose, we have lost our power over the years. But um, we become... One of the reasons become, we've become too familiar with what we know. We've become too familiar with what we know. Because what we know we think's enough. We think we've got, we know enough. You know, I always, I've always said this. Uh, I think I've said it to Phil many, many times. I'm not afraid of the guy who knows a lot. I'm afraid of the guy who knows a little, but he thinks it's a lot. Because the guy who thinks he knows a lot, but it's only a little, doesn't think he needs to learn or you can't teach him anything. So therefore, you've got a problem and they become too familiar with what they think they know, but what they think they know is not really enough. And it, and it, becomes, it becomes their problem. Now, you and I in this church today, we all have opinions, do we not? Of course we do. And there are some opinions that just rise up in the moment of the conversation. But there are other opinions that become fixed. It's like a fixed asset. It doesn't matter how much someone tries to bring new truth. You're always going to have your opinion on that one thing. How many of you know you've got those kind of opinions inside? And, and the hardest thing is when the Holy Spirit comes and he tries to bring new truth to you. And you think, well, I don't, I'm not having that. But why? Because I've got this opinion and then have you ever been in in a meeting where someone has said something and you've kind of gone ah yeah 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 I see what you mean you know I never saw it like that anybody ever had that moment right okay so let's take it a little bit further ah I never had that moment I never saw it like that before you know I always used to think it was like this so that was a fixed opinion about something but when a new truth came, you were open to go, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I never saw it like that before. Yeah, wow, who would ever believed it? Yeah, that's called open. Yeah, and then you get some people who go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this opinion before. I've heard this before. I've heard guys talk about this before. Now it's guys and it's just things before. Yeah, 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 I know I've often heard guys, but I don't believe that. I believe this. How many of you know that's like a closed position? And when you've got so many people, you can always tell the posture. Because sometimes people cross their hands, or they sit on the side, like that, almost like it's a, de a defensive mechanism. Your body gives it away. Your body gives it away. Has to, or the eyebrow goes up. You know, one goes down, the other one goes up like that. And your posture gives it away as to <clears throat> what's going on in your heart. How you filter and process new truth. And my heart is like this. I know what I believe in. But I'm also open for upgrades. And I've got to know the difference between truth and error. And I've also got to know the difference between an opinion. Because you're entitled to have opinions. Do you know that? There's a lot, there are fundamentals, the things we cannot disagree on. But then after that, there are opinions. But what we can see as a, a truth, we must stay as a truth. Where there are areas for discussion, it's fine, it's fine you're entitled to your opinion. Do you know how Jesus fed the 5,000? I don't know. But if you want to put to me a doctrine about how it was done, that's your opinion. Because... Each man is given a, le a level of revelation. We just know he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. And we know detail about that. But did they stand up? Oh, sorry, not, not did they stand up. Did, did they uh, all munch it down in five minutes? Did, they, did it just prolong all day? We don't know. Who cares? 
We don't want to strain it. We don't want to strain it at that, do we? We just know that he did it. So you have expectations, do you not? When you have opinions, you also have expectations. I have an opinion of this word, that this word entitles me to rights. Do you have those kind of opinions? I have these opinions as core convictions. I have certain rights. You have certain rights. And I have the right. Here's the thing, listen. Let me, let me phrase it. Let me back up a minute. You have the right to go to hell. Have you ever thought about that? You have the right to go to hell. There's many days when you and I want to send each other to hell. But you have the right to go to hell. You do. I have the right to keep you out of hell. Think about that. You have the right to go to hell. I have the right to keep you out of hell. To keep trying to keep you out of hell. Why? Because my Bible tells me to try. But you have the right to go to hell. If you want to burn in in hell, go. But don't stop me from trying. To save you. Jesus so loved the world, knowing that Moses wants to go to hell, but he never stopped. He kept on trying. And he keeps on trying. So don't worry about what some people do. Be more convinced about what you're told to do. Yeah? Let people go if they want to go. But don't stop pursuing them. God has to change their minds. People have expectations. Some people don't believe our, our gospel has any power. Therefore, they have no expectations. This week, come in, I have great expectation that God will meet us with his power. That's my right to believe him. It's my right to expect him to move in your life. It's my right as a believer. It's your right to believe him. Why? I've got expectations from my opinions. And hopefully my, my opinions are in line with what he says. Yeah? But I've got these expectations and these opinions. you know why? Because I've kept open. I've not got familiar with the truth. I've kept upgrading. I've kept upgrading. And you and, my, you and I, my friends, if we're going to have greater, greater access to God, his power and his sovereignty, then you must conclude right here today that you, what you know is not enough. What you think you know is not enough. We're not belittling what you know, but what you know is not enough. It's not enough. So we must go deeper and deeper and deeper. The, my Bible says this, if I was to count all the thoughts of God, well, I couldn't do it. He's got too many thoughts. Well, if he's got too many thoughts, therefore, there's so, every thought, have you noticed we've got every thought as a file? You can't download every file. Why? Because you don't have the capacity in your brain to download every thought, but every revelation is giving you the capacity to receive. Every, you don't need every thought. You need the revelation that he needs you to have. You don't need to be God. You don't need to be God. You're not God. He's God. And he's given you the capacity to receive the current updates every day. But if I know the truth, oh, it's okay. You can't teach me anything. I've been around this mountain a long time. Guess what? You keep going. Believers have no power. Because they don't know how to accurately pray. If you're honest with yourself, how many times have you been frustrated about prayer? If you're honest with yourself, do I pray this way, Lord? Do I pray that way, Lord? Well, how do you want me to pray, Lord? Do I go with a shopping list? Do I go straight with worship all the time? I just don't know how you want me to pray, Lord. Anybody been there? Right. Anybody feel like the prayer has not gone as high as that ceiling? Right. So it's a reality. But it's something... That can be overcome. But when you don't know how to pray, duty kicks in. Because if I don't pray, I feel bad. But when I pray, I feel bad. So I'm at a, a crossroads here. So what I'll do is I'd rather pray with my list, with my duty, and then I can feel at least a sense, well, Lord, I've been faithful. And then we walk away, listen. Well, Lord, you know my heart. Anybody been there? 
Okay. God says, yes, I know your heart. The issue is not whether I know your heart. The issue is, do you know mine? Stop being self-indulgent and bring God to where you are. You've got to turn around and go to where he is. Prayer is knowing what's on his heart, not whether he understands your heart. You can be totally unbiblical. Now, when you're unbiblical, well, God, you know my heart. God says, so what? I still can't answer it. Why? Because you need to know my heart. You're bringing me into areas, asking me to do things that contradict my own word. And you saying, well, Lord, you know my heart. Guys, put that down in writing. It's not about me, him knowing my heart. It's my responsibility to know his heart. One of the things that most people get confused about in prayer, well, who do I pray to? How do I pray? Do I pray to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Do I pray to God? Anybody felt like that? There's three of them. Why do we need three of them? What's wrong just with one of them? Why do? Do you know, there is nowhere in your Bible, nowhere in your Bible where Jesus tells you to pray to him. What? Huh? What? No, he doesn't. Read your Bible. He never tells you to pray to him. He says, ask in my father's name. He didn't say pray to me. He said, pray to my father. You don't believe me? Okay. Go to Matthew 6. I knew this would get you. We pray in the name of Jesus to the Father. We don't pray to the name of Jesus, but we pray in the name of Jesus. Because Christ is presented within Christ and he's represented before his Father. Okay? He's given us the Holy Ghost to reveal what's in the Father's heart. So we know what's in the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ. True? Anybody? Corinthians says, we have the mind of Christ. So you can think on those things that the Holy Ghost is revealing to you from the Father's heart. But we pray in the name of Jesus. Does this make sense? Now, if we don't, get these, we don't get these things set up right, we lose power. Hello? Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows it's ignorant. Come on, let's be honest. Let's, can we grow up this morning? Can we learn something? Sure. If you want answers to your prayers, then listen to what I'm saying. Pray the right way, you'll get the right results. Heart, we don't pray with heart, we pray with words. Words is what we use. Now, when in Matthew 6 and verse 5, and when you pray, don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. They like to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. Who? To your father, who is unseen. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll have heard many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before ask. Before you ask who? Him. Ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our father. Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And who to pray to. He says pray. And we could do a lot more searches this morning. Jesus, John 17, John 15, 16, 17, all the time Jesus is talking about, you know, the glory I had with the Father has now been given to you so that you can speak to him direct. Do you know that? You can speak with him direct. So now when we come before, that's why Paul says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. So when we look and we pray, we pray to our Father in the name of Jesus. Through the name of Jesus, all the demons will bow. That authority that has been given by the Father to the Son has been given to you. So we pray in the name, through the name, because it's the name that's above all other names. But you don't pray to that name, you pray to the Father. Does this make sense? So when you pray now, you don't think, well, shall I pray to the Holy Ghost? You pray in the Spirit. 
You pray in the Spirit, in the name of Christ, to the Father. So once we get the line of accuracy set, uh, accuracy set up, we can go all the way. Rather, is it to you, Jesus, I'm praying to? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Now, you say, well, blind Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus. He wasn't a believer at that point. Once you're in Christ, the, the, the order is different. This is one of the reasons why most Christians are powerless because they don't know how to get the prayer chain accurate. Then they begin to ask for things that they're not allowed to ask for. They begin to distort what they think is accurate, what isn't accurate. And the answers are always there. They've always been there. They've always been there. How many of you believe that? It just needs someone to reveal them. But if you've got an opinion and a fixed opinion, then no one can teach you. Can I let into a little secret? It took me a long time to understand this. It took me a long time. And in my own heart, I was saying, Lord, Benny, in it, Benny Hinn writes a book on Good Morning Holy Spirit. Where Benny's, Benny begins to teach people everything should be going through the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. No. Pray in the Spirit. In the Spirit. In. So I can pray. Why in the Spirit? Because the Spirit searches all things. He knows the heart and mind of God. And he reveals it to me. So I can pray in the Holy Ghost. Once I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit will reveal to me the things that's on the Father's heart. Then I can pray directly to my Father. But I need to get in to the Spirit first. That's why he says on all occasions, pray in the Spirit. So therefore you won't be anxious about anything. So there's key things there. In the Spirit. When you don't pray in the Spirit, do you know what you do? Can I tell you what you do? You completely pollute the atmosphere. Because you pray by emotions. You pray by fears. You pray by anxiousness. You pray by all kinds of things. But when you pray in the spirit, you, you learn to find the heart and mind of God so you can pray accurately. When you're anxious, you're confused. You panic. You snatch. You let your emotions. Well, God, I'm just going to tell you how I feel. God's like wiping his eyes. Well, she, thanks for that fellowship time. I look forward to another dose tomorrow. How many of you know that you can't manipulate God? Next week when we fast, we can't put God's hand up his back. He won't do it. He doesn't, he's like that typical, he has that typical line, what governments have, we do not negotiate with terrorists. God does not negotiate with a someone who's fasting who's trying to terrorize God. Well, God, if you don't know this, I'm going. Cheerio, wish me. <laughs> no, God will let you go. It will. If God was emotional, like, oh, don't go, don't go like that. Can you imagine? He'd be everywhere. How many times have you sat there and be honest with yourself if you can? Well, God, if you don't know this, I'm off. Well, I'm going to tap my dummy in. And I'm, I'm going to play mad, Ed, with you. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be soft. And I've sat there and become like that myself. And then all of a sudden, I feel like that slap in the head. Tony, wise up, you dipstick. Wise up. Do you think he's going to play that game and listen to you? And then all of a sudden, reality check comes. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Didn't mean to do it, Lord. I've now come to the place in my Christian life. And it's, I don't know if it's with age or maturity. I'd like to think it's maturity, where now I realize I'm a prisoner. I've come to that place in my Christian life where I understand what Paul says. I'm now a prisoner. I cannot go anywhere. I can't leave. I've now become a captive. But I say that in the positive sense. I really have come to this conclusion in my life. For me, I can't play games with God. And you know what, church? I'll be honest with you. I've played a lot of games with him. I've let my heart run to and throw everywhere. Just like you have done, no doubt. And I came to the place where, and it was only about two years ago I came to this place when I said, God, we've got to put a nail down, a marker down where I can't keep running like this. I can't keep messing around. And I don't know, you know, maybe you do know, in the last two years I've had the greatest growth in my life because I've stopped playing that game. And I suggest, church, the quicker you can do that, the more 
you will start getting online with God more and more. God says, I can't do this with you, Tony. I can't, you can't be with me today and not tomorrow. We either, I need men who will go all the way. Your marriage wouldn't last like that. So why do you think our relationship will, will continue and prosper like that? And many of us are not like that, like that, but many of us are like that. And I confess to you, there was moments in my life where I was like that. But I know I'm not talking to that crowd this morning, so you're free. Okay? The reason why people, believers have no power is because they expect instant overnight success. How many of you have heard that? It's true. You know, the bigger the assignment upon your life, the more growth and capacity you need. If I am going to do, in computer terms now, if I'm going to work on graphics and video, then my machine must have the capacity to handle that video. If I'm just working with Word files, then I don't need the same capacity. The more stuff I'm using, the more capacity is needed depending on what you're using. Do you understand that? And in Christianity, everyone has a destiny. But you don't understand what that destiny is. And I'm going to speak to you more about this destiny. Not today, not tomorrow, but I will. Because something that God's been really trying to help me to redefine. What is destiny? Most Christians don't understand it. So if you don't understand destiny, you'll never know what's needed. Grace stood here this morning and says, I want to go to university. A couple of years ago, God said, I'm going to be a nurse. How many of you know that a nurse needs a certain kind of capacity? Yeah, she needs a certain kind of stomach for some of the things she's going to see and deal with. True. Just like David's David's wants to be a heart surgeon. Well, you got to know that when you rip someone's chest open, you're going to see a lot of doner kebabs in there somewhere. And you're going to see all kinds of things. And if he faints on his first and you're, you're his first patient and your heart's bumping on the table and blood's all over. And David's like, oh. someone's going to have to say, David, you need man up and get a capacity. True. And we need a greater capacity depending on the, uh, the assignment that's on our life. But the things that you need and it's the greatest thing all the time. This is where charismania has not helped us. Charismania brought us into spiritual gifts. And for that, we, we say, thank, thank God. But it brought a lot of heresies. And it brought a lot of practices that are not helpful for our growth now. Right? And we bless, we bless those who, who, who brought us into charismania. But we don't stop there. And because we've stopped there so long, they've become patterns and entrenched patterns. Which now damage us. And, you, and some of you may not understand exactly what I'm saying. That's okay. But the point is, is when it comes to the realm of the spirit, people have thought, all I need is gifts. As long as I can oper- operate in gifts, that's all I need. Now, young Tonga prays for the young boy. Let's check Tonga as, as he spoke to us this morning. Let's just take this young boy for a second. Here he is. He's energetic. He's, he's, he's vibrant. He's been impacted by uh, Jonathan David. He's been um, impacted by the spirit of God and the message that JD carries. And here's this boy thinks, he told me to do this. I'm going to do it. So the boy does it. So the boy keeps doing it. And every time he does it, people keep getting healed. Now, he's a young boy, is he not? Right, so what do you think when the notoriety comes his way, what do you think is going to happen to that young boy? He's going to find internal struggles. Because at the end of the day, he's finding out the gift works. That doesn't make him powerful. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the one who is in you is powerful. But Tonga doesn't understand that as a young boy. He sees this thing works, whatever I touch works. So it must be me. He's a young boy. Until you can mature him and ground him in the things of God more and more, he'll never grow. His gift will always become the main act. True? You can't have the gift becoming the main act. You've got to have the Christ. So the Christ has to be matured in the boy. So as the boy grows, the gift still works, but the Christ is more dominant. Without the Christ, he'll end up going to the highest bidder. Because his flesh will take over. It becomes like a trick. Yes? So 
This is what happens in charismania. Preachers come along and they carry all the gifts. They have the power, but you don't. So you always make them, you put them on a platform so they look good and they allow you to do that. But what they should do is come down and empower you to do what they're doing. But charismania has not done that. It keeps a few employed and it keeps on many annoyed. It keeps them rich and keeps you poor. They use their faith to get your money. That's charismania. Was it good for us? Yes. But now we've hit the floors. And what we need is some character, some stature, some wisdom and a lot of Christ. Without those things, you'll always fall for the guy at the front. Oh, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Hey, I got a new technology. Stand to your feet. Right, let's touch him. Now, are we decrying there are men who move in gifts of healing? No. But we can't be chasing them all around the world. Well, I heard this man is in San Francisco and he lay hands on the sick. Well, if I get on a plane and go over there, I just might get healed. Save your money. We'll pray for you. Yeah? Do you know what the Bible says? If you knew the power of God, he says this, call the elders. Call the elders. That's why he's put you in a body. Call the elders. Everything you need has been given in the house. Don't need, am I leaving on a jet plane? No. So we need to understand that the greater the assignment, the greater the capacity. And this is what God is trying to help me to see so I can help you to enter into. Our capacity needs to increase because of the assignment that's on our lives. You can't touch community in nations without a greater capacity. Desire is not enough. Desire is not enough, my friend. Capacity. Capacity is what you need. Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 19. Regarding our capacity and destiny, he says, if they follow me, I'll make them into something. So he says this, come follow me, Jesus said. And I'll make you fishers of men. So there was the the product that he was going to make. He was going to make fishers of men. Now, he was using the 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 natural and he was he had he also by using the natural he was actually giving them an insight into what they would do spiritually so he knew to a fisherman i'm going to make you into fishermen well they could have turned around and said hang on we already are fishermen what do you mean you're going to make me a fisherman i already know how to fish they didn't he used the same terminology but he meant something different yeah think about it At once, they left. Now, why would they leave? They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he sat two brothers down, sons of Zebedee, brother uh, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and their father, sorry, followed with them. So we see the promise that he's going to make them fishers of men. He's promised them, if you follow me, I'll make you something. Now, you see, there's the key right there for a leader. If you're asking people to follow you, you better have the capacity to make them into something. Most leaders want you to follow, but they're not making you into anything. They have no ability to train. Why do you think God has turned us in this last year into a training house? Why do you think he's given us man up? Why do you think he's given us unleash? Why do you think he's given us the meeting place of God? They're strategies to train us. God is trying to make us into a certain type of people. Not just believers. God is trying to make us into a a prophetic, apostolic type of people. Yes? So he's given us materials that can train us in that dimension. Now, if if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said, come and follow me. Why? Because I'm going to make you into apostolic prophetic people. That sounds too long. It doesn't sell. Right? But that's exactly what he's saying. And that's what, exactly what they became. Prophetic apostolic. True? But he calls them fishers of a man. So it's like, I'm going to call, I don't know what your, uh, consult, uh, what your title is, but I say, come and follow me. I'm going to make you a consultant. Well, I already am one. 
but it means something different. I'm going to make you a painter or a, I'm going to give you a father's heart for children you don't, orphans. But I already do that, but it means something different spiritually. I'm going to make you a quantity surveyor. What does that mean? You're going to survey the land we are going to take. So we can go all the way through the church. And we can use whatever title. Well, I'm, going to, I'm just a housewife. You're more than a housewife. You're more than a housewife, my, my lady. You're far much more than that. But God has to come to you to promise you that he's going to make you into something if you follow me. But the priesthood of believers don't want to follow him, so they've got no power. You only got the power and got the end product when you followed him. True? When I was stood on the front of a printing machine one day, God, and there was a machine at the side of me that was long as twice the size of this room. And I saw it in millions of pieces. I've told you this before. God says, you will do this for me. And I thought, what are you on about? I'm not an engineer. I'm a printer. But you know what? But with his eyesight, I began to see. What he says, you're going to strip people down. You're going, to re, you're going to reassemble them so they work properly. That's what he meant. And I thought, okay, I can, I can buy into that deal. Yeah, I'll do it. Where do I sign? It seemed good to me and the Holy Ghost. And all you need when God says those things is an agreement. Yes, I'll follow. So, okay, let's just go on a little bit further. So he calls his disciples, follow me, and I'm going to make you something. So let's go to Matthew 16. The same group of people, now it's expanded a little bit more, the group's got bigger. So just in case you're the first group, and you're followed, and you've got in the boat with him, and you're following him, and you think, yeah, Lord, I'm with you. Oh, I'm with you. Hope line and sinker. And that's, the, you know, I don't say that to, to say you're not. Twelve chapters later, they're undeveloped. They've been following, but they're still undeveloped. Yeah? But they've left everything. And they're following him. You see, you and I claim to be followers, do we not? But we haven't had to face this kind of situation where we've had to leave everything to follow him. We've been able to keep all that we've got and still follow him. Been able to keep our families and still, and still follow him. And yet, we, like them, are still undeveloped. So let's read it. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Now, he's just been speaking to a group of people. The disciples have been listening. They've been earwigging. And they're not quite sure what he's on about. Just like many of you are this morning. We've been with Jesus. We've been talking. But some of you still don't understand what he's on about. Okay? Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about stupid bread? You, do you still not understand? Or the seven loaves, or sorry, or do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the, the 4,000 and how many more baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was talking to you about bread? He's getting frustrated that, that he's exposed them to a lot of stuff and yet they still do not have the capacity or the power to rise to the place of which he's speaking. Can you see this? He's talking about their doctrine, how that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees speak, it gets right through into the nation of Israel and it pollutes them at the very core. They're thinking bread. Do you understand that? How when one voice, through one voice, you can pollute a whole group of people. But he wasn't talking, he used the story of bread to get the illustration across. But the disciples are thinking he's talking about bread. He's talking about much more than bread. But what gives me, what, what the point I want to raise to you is this is, they followed him. He's promised to make them something. Twelve chapters on, they still don't understand. Shows me that the work is still in progress. Yes? 
It's still on in progress. There's still things they don't understand. This walk is ongoing. How can you ever have a fixed thought and say, you know it? You can't. This is why I constantly have to put myself under the Holy Spirit every day. This is why I go, I get on a plane, I travel and I sit myself for two weeks under a teacher My spiritual father. Why? Because I know that God who called me, he will make me. And how he's making me, he's brought me to a place where greater capacity is possible for me. You can't learn everything you need to learn by sat here on a Sunday. You can't. It's impossible. And this is why so many believers are powerless because they will not invest in themselves. They will not move beyond the church. They won't buy a book. They won't buy anything to, inc- to increase their capacity. And they wonder why they don't grow. But they'll buy music. They'll buy other kinds of things. But they will not invest in themselves. True? And then when they do go and buy books. Here's it, here, let me just caveat this. They go and buy any kind of book. And expect God to bless them because they bought a book. Come and talk to us about some of the stuff you're reading. You'll find some of it's not helpful to where you're going. Because if you're in a training house and you're being made into a prophetic apostolic people and you're reading books that are not going in that direction, then that's really not going to help you. We don't want to control you. Just want to help you. It's still your choice to go and read the book. It's your choice. No one's going to get cross with you. But what you read is what you become. That's why we write more and more materials for you and for other people. Now, how many of you know, and with this we'll we'll finish. How many of you know that growth takes time? You're not an overnight star. You might look it, but you're not. All healthy things grow, do they not? But not all large things are healthy. Yeah? You know, bean sprouts go overnight, so they tell me. Babies, though they might be made in a matter of minutes, take nine months to birth and then a lifetime to develop. True? How many of you know elephants take two years? Gestation period, two years. Everything that grows takes time. Everything. You come under that banner of everything. You take time. You take time. Why do you take time? Because first of all, you got, let's just divide it like this. Let's just say you live to be 80 years of age. You probably take one quarter of your life growing up just to be an adult. The next quarter, you're off doing all, everything you want. The next quarter, you sat there and then you start to learn. And then well, just as you've learned, you're getting into the final quarter and you feel too old to run with it. True? Come on, be honest. Somewhere in the midst of that, all, all that is called growth. But if we can divide that, if we can get it down, so the kids don't have to be 25 before they start learning spiritual things. Oh, just let them be young. Well, okay, let them be young, fine. But let's, mothers and fathers, teach your children. Right? If we can, if Paul and Em and Tom and all the other guys who are working with our youth can cut those, time, those days short in righteousness, right? We can have kids spiritual earlier and earlier and earlier. Therefore, they, mess, they, they make less mistakes here. So they excel here and, got, and they can enjoy the legacy here. Does that not make more sense? But only in the church, we're told we can't have your time, we can't have your attention, we can't have your brain, we can't have the best of you because the world's got it. And we're supposed to get the final leftover. It's called Sunday service. And then we wonder why so many people are defeated. True? And then you expect me to carry the cross for you. You expect me then to set up counselling stations. Now, all the things that you haven't got time to do, we've now got to use our time to set them up so when you fall apart, we fix you. I'm preaching better than you're answering. It's true. 
One of the problems, I'll tell you one of the main reasons why the church doesn't have power today. Do you know why? Because it expects the pastor to carry the cross for the people. He's got to have the standard. He's got to have the life. He's got to have all the power. He's got to have all the holiness. He's got to have made all the sacrifices. But I can live like I want. And the moment he lets his halo fall for a minute, we'll have him. True? Come on. If I'm a good pastor, of which I believe I am, I will encourage you to carry the same cross I'm carrying. The same standards that God gives to me are the same standards for us. True? So he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Today I'm going to make you. Then guess what? We're all being made. What we've been made into is image and in his likeness. And it's this image and likeness that will take us from one degree to another. But I can't be the only one lifting the cross up, carrying the cross. You are called to carry your cross. So when I come, this is why, the, this is why Timothy says this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, training, correcting, rebuking in matters of righteousness. If you're going to be a training if we're going to be a training house that's going to train us up for our assignment, then we need the kind of work that teaches, that encourages, that builds up, that, that casts us forward, and also at times rebukes us. Now, I know none of us want that, but hey, that's what we have to have. That's why, because these are the tools necessary for training people in righteousness. And, and to train someone in righteousness means that they'll carry their own cross. Carry the cross. So when I see, say for instance, Veronica, and she's, look, and she's looking down, I talk to Veronica, I inquire how Veronica's doing, and then all of a sudden, she says she's into this, 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 and I have to say to her, well, have you ever wondered the reason why these might be happening is because of this, this, and this. Pick up your cross, girl. Well, how do I do it? Then I might have to instruct her how to do it. But the challenge is pick up your own cross. Not that we'll send all the people around to church, we'll all pray for you, you can stay at home and we'll pray for you. Why? We're picking up her cross for her and doing it for her. Now, if she's sick, that's different. If she's sick and can't make it, then we pray for her and intercede, just like we did for Kevin the other day. Right now, Kevin will be here this week because he's getting much stronger. So now Kevin can pick his his own cross up now and start walking. And grace is given to him. But there's a period when he feels weak, then we step in for him. And we step in for him so that when he gets stronger, he can pick his cross up. But he's got to pick his cross up. Eventually, he's got to be put in his hands. Why? Because at the end of the day, he's got to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He can't turn around and say, well done, Kevin, they carried you well. True? We don't have time to continue. But we will continue how we can keep the priesthood strong. And powerful. Yes. We cannot let others carry our cross. It's your faith. It's my faith. Amen. We cannot live with fixed thoughts. We must continue to let God keep changing and challenge our thoughts. We cannot live with charismania anymore. Are we saying throw gifts away? No. We're saying cleaning this thing right up. So the Holy Spirit can shine. We're saying that we're not going to pray inaccurately. We're going to learn how to pray accurately. In Christ, in the Spirit, through the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, to the Father. Does that, does that help? Clear that pathway up so God is exalted. Amen? And it's, like, it's almost like sending, it says almost like. Everyone get that word almost? It's like sending a letter to the Dream Center, but you want it to go to Claire. And inside the letter is a prayer request, but you're asking Claire to answer a prayer that really should be asking me, or vice versa. That's when we don't get the line accurate before God the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The mail's going to the wrong box. Does that make sense? And then we expect Claire to answer my prayer for you, but she's not me. Or vice versa. You know, or because many times internal mail comes. Some might come for David. Some might come for Claire. Some might come for me. Then there's general mail that comes to pay our bills. Yeah, it has my name on it, but it's not for me. It's our. Do you know that? 
That's why I say, make sure you get the dream centre on there, not Tony Higginson. Because if it's Tony Higginson, I know it's for me. If it's a dream centre, it's for us. Which really falls under Claire's responsibility. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? The right, the right male goes to the right person quicker. Amen, let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.